Hey, dear listeners, I want to hear about what you think about the show, what works and what doesn't, and what can be improved. So, if you have a few minutes, fill out the SRB Podcast listener survey at srbpodcast.org. I want to know who's listening, why, and what you think is important to making the show the best it can be. So take a few minutes and fill out that survey. Thanks for your time. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the SRB Podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash blog, or to the podcast website, srbpodcast.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the Table of Ranks. Sitting here, like I would imagine a lot of you, under house arrest, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, got me thinking. How has Russia dealt with pandemics in the past? There is surprisingly little historical scholarship on some of the main diseases that ravaged Russia over the centuries, the bubonic plague, typhus, typhoid fever, and cholera. Thankfully, there is a new and very timely book out on cholera. I was shocked to learn that throughout the 19th and into the early 20th century, Russia was hit with six cholera epidemics. The last one lasted over 20 years. So how did Russian doctors and the imperial and Soviet governments deal with cholera? For some answers, I turned to John Davis to discuss his new book on cholera in Russia. John Davis is an assistant professor of history at Hopkinsville Community College in Kentucky, where he teaches Russian and European history, environmental history, and the history of disease. He's the author of Russia in the Time of Cholera, Disease Under Romanovs and Soviets, published by Bloomsbury. Here's John Davis. So um, I thought, you know, you, you have this new book on cholera, and it's a really timely book considering what we're going through with the, the coronavirus pandemic. So just to start off our conversation about your book, um, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, thanks, Sean. My name is John Davis. I grew up in Kentucky, uh, lived here most of my life. Uh, was a uh, policeman in a, in a earlier life for 20 years, uh, retired as a lieutenant on the, on the Florence Police Department. Uh, along the way, what had always been interested in Russia and European history, and uh, I actually retired early uh, to study Russian history and, and went to the University of Kentucky at uh, as still a young man, of course, uh, is and studied under Karen Patron and with a lot of good people down there. And they uh, was very interesting. I studied Russian history, European history, and environmental history uh, 
a field that I uh, did with Eric Christensen and uh, learned a lot of, uh, about disease and along the way. Eric uh, is a scholar of disease, and, and that's where I became interested in disease originally. Uh, I'm currently a professor, uh, an assistant professor, up for associate professor at Hopkinsville Community College in, in southern Kentucky, uh, down by the Fort Campbell base. In fact, we have a um, a, um, a a department there, um, a, an office there. Uh, previously, I was at the University of Kentucky. I taught there a bit, and I was at Ohio State. I was a junior faculty fellow up there for a year, um, up there in the Center for Historical Research, uh, and, and before I landed at, at Hopkinsville. Wow, that's a that's an interesting uh, life and career trajectory. Um, you know, taking on graduate school after having one other career, especially in Russian history. So, what what you know, you ha- your book is called Russia in the Time of Cholera: Disease Under Romanovs and Soviets. So, talk a bit more. How did you get interested in in this the history of disease and particularly the environmental aspects of it and cholera in particular? Uh, I. It's, it is an interesting story, Sean. It, it's, I was in graduate school, had no really desire to study disease or even environment. When I started talking to Eric Christensen, he says, oh, come on over and, you know, take this class on environment and, and, and um, we'll, we'll, um, we talk about the hazmat and, the, and this different stuff. I just got out of police work and I really didn't want any, anything to do with that kind of stuff. But I took his course. He, he, he got me interested and um I still just went along and it was pretty much doing the Russian thing. I did my thesis uh, under Karen Patron on Russian women and in, in, in their experience in World War II, but I was chagrined to find out that that uh, was not an, a good avenue for a dissertation, so I had to change. So in 2006, in the th- summer of 2006, when I was getting ready for my uh, qualification examinations, I read Death in Hamburg by Richard Evans. Uh, which I thought was just a fantastic book. And I still think Evans is, is a great historian. And it got me interested in, in, in uh, Ru- the history of cholera in Russia. Russia, one of the questions that I become interested in immediately was, why did cholera stick around in Russia when it was gone everywhere else? Uh, of course, I was told that, that this is because Russia was backward. And I, I was skeptical of that. So I, 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 my, my curiosity was piqued. And I wanted to look into that uh, further. And that's where I got interested in cholera, really. Uh, uh, and there's some great literature out there on it. I, I have very little knowledge of, of this aspect of Russian history. And I was really amazed how, you know, the pretty, pretty much throughout the 19th century until 1921, Russia is hit by six pandemics of cholera. So what make Russia particularly vulnerable to the disease? Russia was very vulnerable to disease. As I, as, as I argue, it was more vulnerable than any other place in Europe. Uh, a part of that is, of course, that it is on the extreme eastern periphery of, of Euro- Europe. Uh, actually, the, the, the extreme eastern or northeastern uh, periphery of, of Eurasia. So it, it's it's close to, to the lines of communication. It has... It has uh, huge rivers running through it. If anybody's ever saw the Volga River, or when I first saw it, I was just awestruck by the size of this river. So, and and the, the the transport and the travel that come through Russia, uh, particularly in, the, in an age of, of industrialization, was just immense. And it got uh, more and more over the, the, the course of the century, it, it really increased. And so the problem became even worse in Russia. And then the more people started doing quarantines, uh, in Eastern, uh, in a Western Europe, I'm sorry, in Eastern Europe, the more the commerce would come up the uh, 
the the Volga River and, and the Don River, particularly the Volga, as, as it turned out. And of course, Russia at the same time was trying to modernize. And, and cholera is largely a, a disease of modernity. It brings disease through the transport, uh, through endemic areas where, you know, you, you've got a lot of uh, agricultural products and, and other things as, as people have been going to the uh, India and, and the Indonesia for, for centuries. And when it comes through to Western Europe, uh, it, it, it is largely a, a disease of capitalism in some ways. It, it, it's transport coming through Southern Russia. They actually, and then Russia is, is, is trying to facilitate this uh, in that they build in, in the, Peter, during Peter the Great's time, they begin building the Mariinsk uh, Canal system, which connects the Volga to St. Petersburg. They build St. Petersburg, a window to the West. So it comes up the Volga, uh, Two jumping off points in Yaroslavl province, Rybinsk in that area there, and then on up uh, through this system of canals to Petersburg. It actually sort of bypassed Moscow, uh, which Moscow set on very high ground and was in a very fortuitous or, or very good place, uh, where Petersburg, we know, set very low to the ground and not the healthiest area. So this kind of made it even worse when it when it, when it went up to Petersburg and then across the Baltic to the west. So it's it's largely a disease of, of transport and 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 uh, commercialism and and modernization. It's so it, it, it's interesting because you know for a long time the the history of Russia is is one you know well at least what historians said you know decades ago is that Russia is isolated. But here, it's actually because it's so interconnected in a in a global sense across the Eurasian uh, continent that it is subject to this disease of modernity, as you put it. Very, very much, and and it and it was a food producer for for the West, you know. So I mean, it's 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 an important place to to the European the entire European system. What is cholera? It is a bacteria. Um, so it in in the late nineteenth century, this was figured out by. Uh, Actually, in, in the I should I want to be historically correct here. In the mid nineteenth century, you, you had a fellow by the name of Filippo Piccini in Italy who discovered cholera and is given actually uh, the the credit for discovering it today. Although we don't hear much about Piccini, the the, the Vibrio uh, is actually named after Piccini. O one uh, Vibrio Filippo Piccini, eighteen fifty four, uh, during the eighteen fifty four uh, epidemic. Although we don't hear about that much, we hear about Robert Cook. Um, in 1883. So when you think about cholera, you really think about Cook. He was just a giant in the field. He had new micro microscopes where he could he could see, and, and he knocked out a series of diseases um, by discovering the the bacteria, the the specific agent that caused the disease. Uh, and it, was, it was a huge breakthrough, and the there was an idea after that that. Uh, it, it, it caused all kinds of ideas that, well, we know what it is now. There's no reason to have it anymore. And this happened in, coincidentally, I think, and not altogether coincidentally, when cholera was disappearing from Western Europe and, and from the United States. Uh, and so leaving only Russia to deal with cholera. So it's interesting. Uh, and of course, Russia developed a completely different um view of cholera and, and how to combat it based upon where they were and, and based upon their intellectual framework and, and uh, scientific development of their, in their country. So what, what does the disease do? Like when somebody gets cholera, what happens to them and how does it spread? It's, it's really bad. It's, it, uh, 
you, you start to have cramps and you'll get sick and you're really your whole body cramps up. You, and it, it basically dehydrates you very quickly within two to six hours. You can, you can be dead. Uh, it has a 40 something percent, uh, rate, generally death rate. So you have almost a 50, a half chance of dying. Your, the, the worst thing would have to be the cramps. You have terrible cramps from the, from the, uh, dehydration, uh, to the extent that even after you die, your body is still uh, liable to move from the spasms. Uh, you, the eyes sink in the head. It's called the blue death. The skin gets white and, and actually a bluish color. Uh, so it was considered a horrible death, actually. It, it, it was, it was a, it, you didn't want to have this for sure. And, and how does it transmit? Because my kind of layman's understanding of it, it tends to be transmitted through, um, you know, uh, uh, un, unsanitary water. That's correct, Sean. It, 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 it's considered a water. It is a waterborne disease, and actually, uh, is is believed to have come out of estuaries when uh, you you have it, it. It's sitting there and really in an incomplete state and, and climate conditions, which I really won't go into in, in, in too great of detail. But uh, it's particularly after after volcanoes will, will rut and tidal. Uh, movements and uh, the El Nino causes a rustling up of the bottom sediments, uh, nitrogen and, and these sorts of things, which sort of activates it. It's brought to the surface by a little cr- uh, shrimp-like species called a, a copepod, and these, uh, which the copepod, by the way, and cholera are both aerobic and anaerobic. They can exist in and without oxygen. And or with oxygen, so this copepod is, is anaerobic, brings it up to where aerobic uh, crustaceans like shellfish eat the copepod, and then it's usually the, the same situation. Generally, causes famine, and people eat it. Of course, you're eating crustaceans during this time. Uh, so this is how it, it kind of spreads out in, in, in India, in the Bay of Bengal. This is where it is uh, generally associated with it, the Bay of Bengal. The environment there is perfect for it. it you have Mount Everest and you have the uh, Indus and more importantly, the Ganges River Basin and the Brahmaputra, which comes brings all this um, water off of the Himalayas into the Bay of Bengal, uh, which is really a, a very unclean place, unsanitary uh, place, which is where it, the disease spreads out from there. And they had horrible epidemics in India. Uh, the, the epidemics in cholera and in Europe were nothing like uh, India has experienced. Now, how did Russian doctors and scientists understand it? You said they came up with a, a, a quite a different approach than, than their European counterparts. They did. They were more aligned with Pasteur. And that's why I mentioned him. And that's why I mentioned this, this anaerobic and anaerobic environments. They And, and also von Pettenkoffer, uh, Max von Pettenkoffer and Louis Pasteur, two Western European, uh, well, they chemists, actually. They're, they're, and I make a, a big deal out of that in my book, and I think rightfully so. Uh, you had Justus Liebig in the early 19th century, who had this idea of putrefaction, uh, that disease was a dying process among uh, compounds in the ground. So, and, and he says, this is a diametrically opposed to life. Uh, it's dying. I mean, this seems like a logical conclusion. Uh, and, and, and Pasteur comes along and says, no, no, this is, this is a vital process. It, it, it involves live elements. And he refutes Liebig. Uh, and, and goes on to become the great scientist. He is. He invents fermentation, which in which uh, 
you have this anaerobic is, is, is a thing, right? I mean, it's important. Um, I, I'm not, I won't go into detail on fermentation, but uh, he, he saw disease the same way that, that new uh, elements were active in the, in the, in the ecosystem. And, and this uh, caused disease. And as it turns out, he was not wrong, but it, it's not something that could be proved at that time because it was happening in the ocean. At the same time, you have Max von Pettenkoffer, who, who um, was a, a, a protege of Liebig, uh, who says, no, it's actually at the, it's at the, um, at the shoreline. And it, because there's almost always a famine and almost low, always low water. So the water has gone down, and this is generally in the warmer uh, temperatures. And von Petkover says, no, this is between the, sh the former shoreline and where the shoreline is at now. Um, and he looked at drainage, areas of drainage as, as potentially causing disease. He, he was absolutely right about that. Um, and he developed this, this formula, X plus Y equals Z, X being the, um, the cholera vibrio, the, the element itself, and then Y being an unknown substrate, something in the environment, something that triggers this. And and then um, at, then you had the cholera epidemic itself, and this was used throughout the 19th century. And, and Russian physicians really were zeroing in. Uh, all physicians really under this Pastorian paradigm were zeroing into this unknown substrate. What is it? If we can find it, it might be a a, um, a a bullet to just stop this. And and they were trying to find that out. As it turns out, they were right about. But they were just off a little bit. It wasn't the shoreline; it was on out in the estuary. So they, so Russian scientists understood it and, and more in its environmental elements than say, because one of the things you note is that in Europe they tended to treat cholera and prevent it through quarantine, but in Russia it wasn't that wasn't necessarily the case. So how did the Russians deal with it then? That is exactly correct, Sean. Uh, Cook said, "Well, all you have to do is form quarantine and keep this thing out." And you can, and we can just wipe out disease, right? And and this was an idea, really a misconception for years, uh, that, that you, it can live maybe for a you know an hour or two, a few hours, but it's going to die out. Uh, the Russians knew better because it can live in Russia uh, in in the Russian environment. They knew it could live there. It it it, it turned up all the time, very quickly in places. And, and in fact, they were they were citing. Uh, just diseases, you know, epidemics that started somewhere, like in the middle of nowhere, like in Samara. Well, you know, it's not even connected to to India, or the, or there's no there's nothing in between there in India. Of course, communications were not that good at that time, so they they saw it as more something that 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 could be uh, it could be transmitted, is like Koch says, but also can come from the environment. And as, as it turns out, I, I, they, they were right, particularly in southern Russia, Ashrakhan and these places did have these uh, immense system of estuaries. I mean, just probably hundreds, if not thousands of estuaries at Ashrakhan uh, was definitely an endemic place for cholera. And that's how they understood it. And they thought that, that various conditions set it off, uh, environmental and atmospheric conditions, which, as it turns out, if you read the modern literature, uh, in the science, this is this is pretty much how it happens. So did they tend to try to control it through like more focusing on issues of sanitation as opposed to, say, um, looking for inoculation? Well, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, inoculation and vaccination didn't come along until the really the the, tw the beginning of the 20th century in any effective manner whatsoever with cholera or, or real effective. Uh 
but they were looking at it at first. They, at first, in the 30s, they were just doing quarantines like everybody else. And in the 1830s. They, in the 1830s. And then by the ni- by 1848, but during the 1848 revolution, where you had a, something like a million and a half cases, they were just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not contagious. They, they didn't think it was contagious then. Of course, this wasn't just the Russians. This was people like Rudolf Virchow and uh, German physicians, uh, some of the, the, the primary German medical magazines. This this was not limited to Russia. It, they were You had these eminent physicians looking at it saying, quarantine just doesn't work. So, uh, so later on, the this developed over time where the Russians, you had Pasteur come along, of course, in the 50s, and you had this link between Pasteur and the uh, the Odessa school uh, with with I.I. Mechnikov and, and L.A. Tarasevich and Hinef Himalaya, D.K. Zebulotnia, and these uh, very good physicians, very smart physicians, uh, most of whom come out of Novo Rusiska University, uh, interestingly enough. But they, they developed this connection with Pasteur. And Pasteur, of course, had worked on cholera uh, vaccination. So they're working on vaccination really in the in this 80s and 90s, trying to come up with a vaccination. They, they were not able to do that. The 1892 epidemic, they did not have um, a really a good idea of how to, to combat it. They, they didn't have a good vaccination and they didn't really, they tried quarantine and it really didn't work. And they were just at a loss, really. So they were looking at different ways to combat it. And so in 1903, they come out with a flexible system of quarantine, a reactive system. They, they thought, we're never going to stop this from coming in our country. We have, we have once six of the, wor- of the world's land surface. And, and anyway, this is a disease that can live here. Uh, it, it was apparent to them that it could live there, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, in, in these regions. So we're just going to react to it and do the best we can. Actually, the military come up with this uh, up in the Kazan military district, the Okrug. Uh, come up with that. So they, this is where they got this idea of just reacting to it. And uh, others have said, well, this is was not a realistic system, but it was this, the best system they had at that time for the knowledge. They knew quarantine just wasn't working for them and, and, and they didn't feel that they could do it. And, and as it turns out, I, I, I think, you know, it, you saw with cholera, you would have a case in the Don River in Ekaterinoslav, and then you would have a case almost simultaneously in Samara or someplace like that. It's it's it it struck really before they were ever ready, um, so there was no way to set up quarantines really. Five pandemics of cholera sweep through Russia throughout the 19th century until the sixth and the biggest one comes. But before we get to that sixth one. Um, what are some of the big issues that that stand out about the the experience of cholera in Russia in the 19th century? Like, how did the government respond? Uh, what are this? How did the populations respond, etc.? That's a, that's a great, excellent question, Sean. Because uh, the this is sort of where the Russians were a little bit stigmatized. They did have they did have so called cholera riots from the 1830s on when they had quarantines. Um, a lot of this was they just didn't understand what was happening. You had a lot of paranoia. You had people dying. They put people, and this was pretty much the same everywhere, in cholera barracks. And when they went, you went to the cholera barracks, you seldom come out uh, because it's a contagious disease. It, you, you're going to catch it from the water you, um, through the oral fecal route in some way. And you have all these people there 
Uh, this was not a place you wanted to be. And you had a, a lot of cholera riots, a lot of disorder in the empire. It, uh, and, and I will say that this is a land empire. So things that are happening in the, you know, in, in the Caucasus, and in, in, in th these are things that were happening in Russia's empire, not necessarily in the center of the, of the country, uh, but but they did have these uh, cholera riots all over. And and this is one of the reasons they, they said quarantine's just not worth it to have all this unrest. Uh, people, of course, had uh, had this idea that the, the government was out to get them and, and was eliminating them. Uh, there's one famous incident where they were waiting for medical provisions and food and a boatload of coffins showed up. So you can imagine how that, how that went over, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's the government really didn't know what to do. It often ignored it and lied about it. There's no question about this at all. It, right up to the, to the 20th century, to the sixth pandemic, uh, which as you mentioned was the longest and, and really uh, out of about 25, 24 years, 25 years, Collar was there for like 22 of those years. Um, the, but by this time, the, the, the Vibrio had, had evolved. And they actually came to understand this. This is evolution. We know, we know these agents evolve. The first five pandemics are considered by science to have been Cox's Vibrio. The Vibrio that he isolated, the classical cholera Vibrio, where you get all of these victims and then you, you know, a falling off, like a, just a terrible buildup of victims in a few days where the hospitals would be completely overrun. The coroners were out working 24 seven. Uh, in the 20th century, they were, they, you had a mixture of the two. You had really three classical cholera epidemics. Uh, if you can include the, the, the 1892, the fifth pandemic, but uh, three of them in the, in the sixth, actually, you would have 1908 in St. Petersburg, 1918 in St. Petersburg, and then again in uh, uh, 21, in, 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 uh, Saint, which was not in St. Petersburg, interestingly enough, which in, importantly, uh, because I think famine had an awful lot to do with this. I, I've really not found a cholera epidemic in, in, in my research, and, and, and I'm not saying there's, there is not one that is not connected to some kind of a famine. And and I have to say, especially, you know, what stands out about the, the, the sixth pandemic, which is really from 1902 to 1921, is it completely maps on of the general, ten, the general political and social unrest the Russian empire is experiencing as well. I mean, not only do you have, you know, famine, as, as you said, you know, in particularly, uh, in, in 1918, 1919, into 1920, into 1921, you have uh, political unrest, you have revolution, you have war, um, you have civil war, you have ethnic violence. Um, so how how does I, I I'd like to understand more? You know, this sixth pandemic is so huge and it's so long. How does it intersect with all of these other tumultuous events that are occurring in the Russian Empire? That is, thank you for that, because that's something that, that, that gets by me sometimes. And, and and going back all the way to the first, uh, when cholera starts hitting in the, in the 1770s, um, I link it totally to famine. Um, all of these, all of these pandemics had famine. And, and as we know, just about all these revolutions, people don't get out there if they're, if they're eating well. I mean, that's, that's kind of my take on it, that the, the famine and the, the cholera come along as a byproduct of famine 
and that the famine was more responsible for these revolutions than, than we think or that we're willing to, to, to uh, state uh, because others, it, it, it's very simple to say, well, uh, we have this cholera, these cholera epidemics because people are out there, you know, uh, these revolutionaries are causing it. it. It was very easy to blame it on them. But often the famine was there first, as we know, in, in, in St. Petersburg in, in 17, uh, the, the, the bread rioters, the, the women bread rioters are, are what really set it off with the Putilov workers, or, or is that that's the theory that I'm that I know of. And uh, cholera, it, there was no cholera there then. But in 18, there definitely was, it was one of the worst years in history. And 21 uh, later was terrible as well. So it's, uh, it, yes, it, it's tied in with, with this political unrest. Uh, in, in 1905, you had the revolution. Uh, and everybody's saying, oh, gosh, there's really going to be a cholera epidemic. Well, there wasn't one. And then there wasn't one in 06 either. But there was one in 07 uh, when, when you had uh, the a famine again. So I, I connected to the famine. This is my take on it, that the famine brought the revolution and cholera came along with it, more or less. So how so talk a bit more, like what is the connection between famine and cholera? Because it's, it's kind of unclear to me. Well, th- thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. And it, it, I wish it was was really uncomplicated, but it, it, it a lot of the, you know, the crop failure is part of it. And of course, you get the crop failure from from climate, right? If you have a drought, and and, and it's connected to the El Nino, and the El Nino lines up pretty much with these incidents. And then you have uh, volcanoes, which are kind of a consequence of the El Nino. Uh, so you have the first really large cholera epidemic uh, in the wake of the Tambora volcano, and and, and uh, this is when it comes out of India, uh, and this is in pretty close proximity there to to Indonesia, the Bay of Bengal. Um, so volcanic activity causes this, uh, a scholar by the name of Mike Davis did a really good job on, on drawing all this out, but it, it, I, I'm sure you're familiar. Yes. It's but, a late Victorian Holocaust book. It, it, exactly. I mean, that lays it out perfectly actually, but you, you have, um, you have famine coming from the crop failure. And then you also have market conditions. Uh, it, it's it, it kind of spiral. So I mean, the famine does not always happen like the year before. Uh, you had a, the crack of vo- Toa volcano in, in '83, and then throughout the '80s, you had czarist uh, measures where they 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 started taxing people and and really mess tinkering with the economy uh, after uh, Alexander II was 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 executed. Uh, and then you have the, the famine in 1891 and the cholera in 1892. So, and you also, by the way, had the coldest uh, day on record in Siberia in like 85, 87. So it, 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 it's with the climate and the market conditions, which in Russia, you, you always had sort of a tenuous food supply anyway. You're a, you're a market you're an exporter. And at the same time, you had to feed all these, these peasants and uh, a couple of times that they made the mistake of, of of sending the food westward when the peasants ought to have been fed. So th- yeah, and you have a low is- agricultural productivity per per you know household per land too. Yes, much much lower than in the in the west. Ex- exactly. Thanks for that. It's, uh, Moscow sits on something like fifty degrees or something like that. It, 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 it it's 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 very north. I mean, when I was in southern Russia, Saratov's about the the same latitude as Chicago. Uh, so that's southern Russia. So yes, it, it, you can see where they they don't have the agriculture 
agricultural yields that that the West has. Now, cholera uh, pretty much begins to peter out in the mid-1920s. Um, so how does the Soviet government deal with it, and, and what contributes to it kind of fading fading away? It's very interesting. And, and, and the Soviet government, and, and these are mostly guys from the czarist period that, that were still around, uh, but they, they, did, they, were really, they really had the handle on it. They understood that they had to... to uh, to react, and they they had they were very reactive. They had better intelligence. They had steamboats out in the in the the, the uh, Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and they were just Lenin was actually on top of it. Lenin was was sending um, uh, messages to uh, Shamashko, the uh, the commissar hell saying, "Is there a cholera epidemic in Moscow? You tell me, you know." And so, the, rather than under the czars, where Really, they couldn't have. They did. They didn't really seem like they they could have cared less if there was a cholera epidemic. Lenin didn't want a cholera epidemic. Um, part of this this is that he he had been through the civil war, and the civil war is still going on, of course, in the twenties. Uh, but by twenty one, after the the after the twenty one uh, famine and cholera epidemic, they he decided I, I have to raise the level of, of the of the of the uh, average person. As you know, they they had done grain requisitioning during that time, which which contributed to the the, the famine, no question about that at all. Um, but they raised the level of the of the populace. They started feeding people more. They if there was any signs of cholera whatsoever, they responded there. And something else they did by then, vaccination was more well developed, and they went to the peripheries of the empire and just vaccinated the heck out of everybody, literally millions of vaccinations uh, for cholera, and sometimes two and three times. What they tried to be is is, is really uh, reactive uh, as, as the 20s moved on. So if you had a, a an epidemic, say, in Tambov or someplace like that, they would immediately go there and just vaccinate everybody. Uh, they so they were really reactive and, and they got there really fast. Uh, they, they they also used quarantine. They also tried to to increase sanitation, but they had problems with sanitation and water supplies right up to the last days of of cholera. They they were still they were they were using something called water weeks, uh, where where you know you you got water one week, you got fresh water the next week, you kind of had to hold off. That's sort of a Russian thing, as you know. You'll get hot water this week, the next week you don't get it. Yeah. So they were doing this sort of thing, and and even uh, uh, Tarasevich said it. This does not work. This is not doing anything. Uh, I I really credit it with the vaccination. The, the, now they understood vaccination that it gave six month protection, but that that was long enough to 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 ward off the the cholera. Uh, and and it was not long term protection. You might have to get vaccinated again in a few years if if there's another threat. Now thinking about cholera and and its its presence in Russia in the 19th and early 20th century, I mean th- this of course is not the only pandemic that's that sweeps through the country. I mean we were we were before we started recording. Uh, we were talking about the the prevalence of typhus and and the larger impact that typhus uh, made in terms of casualties. So, how does cholera fit within within the history of say you know pandemic and disease in in Russia? Well, it 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 it, it killed a lot of people in the in the in the 19th century. It, it still didn't kill as many as smallpox. Uh, it probably killed as many as as just about any other disease. But you you also had diphtheria. Coming on uh, just about every year, you had typhoid, uh, you you had typhus, uh, but cholera. The reason it was it, it it was so feared 
is it was looked at as sort of an alien affliction. You you had um, you couldn't you couldn't develop a good va- vaccine for it. It come on suddenly, and it was it was a horrible death. It killed all these people at once. It was really the horror aspects of it more than the the, the, the total body count, which was something like two point two million all told in the first six pandemics. But it it was really the 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 horror of it of the whole thing, um, and how it is so it, it scared people to death, and that's why it was such a, a an interesting historical agent. Unfortunately, is is that the way it killed people more than the fact that it killed more people. And in fact, the typhus pandemic killed far more people in 1918. It killed something like 3 million people. And and I think another 4 million in Poland and Eastern Europe. So it, it, it was, it was really, the typhus was actually worse, but they were still more worried about the cholera uh, because it's, it, they thought, well, it has the capacity to be the worst. And then the flu pandemic, which kind of hit late over there. And, and I'm not precisely on my dates, but I think in 19, it was still lingering over there. Going back to this, um, this issue of, of cholera riots and, and also the idea that cholera was perceived as something coming from without, you know, and I, I'd imagine the popular perception too, it was seen as something that's coming from some from outside the nation. Um, d- in these riots and, and the violence associated with the outbreaks, did, did cholera get linked with various ethnic groups? Was it, you know, woven in with, say, anti-Jewish violence or any other ethnic violence? It absolutely did. Yes. Thanks for that. It, it, of course, it was called the Asiatic cholera. And you had physicians out in Siberia in 1902. You had an epidemic out in Siberia and it was linked and they're out there. And of course, this is at the time of social Darwinism and eugenics. Uh, and, and there was there was a heavy uh, interest in eugenics in Russia at the time, although it was uh, rather disorganized. But you have physicians saying, well, this is, this is due to Asian culture. This is due to, uh, here's the problems. Although sometimes they seem to be critiquing their own country, but you know it's it's and, and I think I write that, but it, it, it they're they're talking about Asian culture and we it, it, this is an Asiatic disease and these people are inferior and one I come along upon that word in one of Meshnikov's uh, books. Uh, inferior peoples, so they were seen as as, as as inferior. The peoples in Central Asia, along the Silk Road, uh, which is where cholera came from, of course, along the the, the, the transport that in in trade, uh, these people. Th- there's the idea that these people are inferior. Uh, the Japanese, so they're going to places like Persia in 1904 and Japan in 1896, 97, and and they're 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 vaccinating people, right? Uh, they really don't have this vaccination. Uh, I mean, they're not doing it to their own people, but they're going to outside and vaccinating people. And I think they were just doing experiments, but it was actually good public relations, but they felt that they had to spread European culture to these areas. So yes, uh, the, the anybody in Central Asia, in the Caucasus, uh, the Jews were often blamed for it, particularly Jewish physicians, right? Because, um, and there's a really good dissertation on this, with which the Jews had some pretty good hygiene, and so they didn't die as often. And and then uh, it, it was a Jewish conspiracy. It was a conspiracy of the physicians to to eliminate them through the government as well. Um, you had some physicians brutally killed uh, in, in a few books. Uh, you'll, you'll see that. Physicians were t- attacked all the time. 
So it, it was it was a scary thing. I mean, these these riots and Saratov was uh, where I did some of my research was a hotbed of of, of revolutionary activity and and cholera riots. And finally, um, you know, right now we are, of course, confronted with the coronavirus pandemic. And, you know, as you're sitting at home under house arrest like the rest of us, uh, and you're looking at the news and you're looking at the various responses to the coronavirus, you know, not just here, but perhaps in Russia as well. I don't know how, how close you're paying attention. But, you know, after doing writing this book about the cholera pandemic, um, how, do you, how does it help you understand our, our current situation perhaps differently than what we're, we're hearing from, you know, in other places? Well, you see a lot of parallels. It's it's very interesting. Uh, one of my studies was was about the environment, as I talked about. Um, you have um, what I was taught N I M B uh, Y, uh, not in my backyard. Um, so we we don't want uh, anything in our backyard. Uh, uh, we're blaming it on on certain peoples. We are. Um, uh, our government is not maybe telling us everything or we think that, right? So there's some paranoia there. All the same things that really Russia was kind of blamed for, uh, we, we sort of see somebody say, fortunately, we don't have uh, coronavirus riots, you know? That was John Davis, an assistant professor of history at Hopkinsville Community College in Kentucky, where he teaches Russian and European history, environmental history, and the history of disease. He's the author of Russia in the Time of Cholera, Disease Under Romanovs and Soviets, published by Bloomsbury. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog, write a review, or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it is not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at srbpodcast.org. As always, thanks to my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. And you can find past shows on iTunes or SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from srbpodcast.org as well. Until next time. Bye. Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Crises precipitate change. Secretly plotting your demise. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash the whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I want to make a super virus strong enough to cause blackouts in every single metropolis. Because they don't want to unify us. So fuck it. Total anarchy and can't nobody stop us. You see, late in the evening. 
fucked up on my computer and my mind starts roaming. I create like a heathen. The first cycles of this virus like a sin through a modem. Infiltration hits your station. No Microsoft or enhanced DOS will impede. Society thinks they're safe when bingo hard drive crashes from the rending. A lot of hackers tried viruses before. Vaporize your text like so much whiteout. I want it where a file replication is a chore. Lights out, shut down entire White House. I don't want just a bug that could be corrected. I'm erecting immaculate design. Break the nation down section by section. Even to the greatest minds, it's impossible to find. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to papyrus. I want to devise a virus to bring dire straits to your environment. Crush your corporations with a mild touch. Trash your whole computer system and revert you to I have already planned. The plan is programmed into every one of my thousand robots. We will not hesitate.